Well, today I'm having an interview with Vicki Chastang and her daughter, Courtney Bowser. And we just want to talk about things related to women's ministries, but also get to know Courtney a little bit more. Some of us got to meet her back in March of 2019. She was with us for a women's conference, and we would like to do another one of those. So she's been invited back in October. But I thought I'd start the conversation with Vicki to just say, Vicki, how did we even come to have that women's conference a few years back? Because I, I know it was you kind of inspiring to say, let's make this happen. So do you remember some of those details of bringing that about? Gosh, I really don't. I know that you and I um, had several conversations about women's ministry mm-hmm. and putting together some things for the ladies, both in, both socially and in terms of ministry. And I believe that you and I both felt like that maybe we'd just do a a Friday night and Saturday morning yes. time of teaching and um, you we were trying to ask the Lord about who to invite and I think that we both felt like Courtney um, would be a good person for that and so a lot of people got to meet her then mm-hmm. and then I think we had another one actually and Kay Ruley spoke we did so um it just uh, it's time that we begin to do more things I believe and uh, directed toward women mm-hmm. uh, it's been three years yeah. a little um, over maybe a little less than three years I'm not sure but um, it's just time it we is. need to do things together as women I think that's very very important I, I agree. And I know, um, so we're scheduling this for October that we would do another Friday night and Saturday. So we're looking forward to that. And then I know, Courtney, when you came before, your husband also joined you um, in, in some of the ministry. So before we talk specifically about what we might do in October, just tell me a little bit more for our, our viewers, our listeners, to know more about you and Jeremy and some of the ministry that is at the heart of who you are. Sure. Um, well, my husband Jeremy and I, or Jeremiah, depending on what country we're in, <laughs> which name they call him, um, we, gosh, we started in full-time ministry, both of us, in 2006. Before that, I had been running a, a Christian arts ministry, um, where I started that in 1998, where we were using the arts for kids and well kids of all ages teenagers adults like the whole deal but we also did a lot of work with outreach and out at-risk neighborhoods kids in at-risk situations scholarship program we had a whole program for special needs so that consumed like the first 10 years of of my life out of um in my 20s and then Jeremiah and I started we were having all these opportunities we'd actually begun it with the art school where we were taking groups of teenagers overseas using the arts as just a vehicle to demonstrate the love of God and sometimes the arts are so powerful because they sort of come in a back door and touch people's hearts and open their minds in a different way and so dance and my background is dance my husband's a musician and when he was with me for the conference you mentioned he was leading worship uh, for the ladies and so you know we just that kind of escalated and we were getting all sorts of opportunities overseas and so we ended up kind of shifting our focus more to preaching and him leading worship and me speaking for women's events and different things like that. I worked for a while um, 
as the chairman of the board of directors for an organization called Rethreaded in Jacksonville that works with women being rescued out of human trafficking and, and all sorts of circumstances like that. And that, of course, only opened up my, my vision and my horizons for, for women and their needs all over the world in a, in a new and different way. And those things have built over the decades, um, which seems weird to say. It makes me feel very old, but um, <laughs> it feels decades. they've built over the decades. And then most recently, we were just continuing doing our work. We were working a ton in Brazil and a couple different countries in Africa, Uganda, Zambia, different places. I was doing some some just short-term stuff um, in, in India and in China, just Mongolia, different places like that, you know, as opportunities were coming up on a regular basis. And then we, um, were, our hearts were really burning for Europe um, and, and the, the state of Europe uh, spiritually, <laughs> specifically France. And about four and a half years ago now, our first opportunity to go to France and kind of a long story that I won't bore everyone with every single detail, but our, the doors began to open in France. And then over, over the time after that, we were, we were invited to come and take over a church in, in the eastern part of France, in the um, Brittany region, a city called Brest. And so we went through the whole process of trying to decide whether we were going to leave ever, because before all of our missions work was come and go. We were based in Jacksonville, Florida. And we, we had the organization we started in 2006 was called Ignition Point Ministries. And for us, that Ignition Point is the place where passion meets purpose. You know, our passionate relationship with Jesus connects with our pursuit of our God-given purpose and destiny. And that's really kind of where you see change in the world. And so um, we have been doing that, but we've been doing it short term in the sense we may be gone for a month at a time or two weeks at a time or Gosh, sometimes Jeremy was back and forth to Brazil, you know, nine times in one year or more. Um, and how did you make some of those contacts with those different places? Oh, man, it all started through through people that we knew through ministry. So, for example, Brazil opened up in the late 90s. We were both invited to be a part of a, a, a missions team down there that was run by a missions organization that had been based out of Brazil for a long time. And so they had asked me if I would come and bring the arts, bring teams that could be on the streets and performing and doing all kinds of stuff. And then Jeremy, of course, was for the music and the worship. And um, and then he was a part of an album down there that just sort of exploded in the, the Christian music industry down there. And then that opened up all kinds of doors for him. And for me, the doors in Brazil opened through the arts. And so I lived down there for a few months trying to work to open another art school like the one that I had previously had in Jacksonville, Florida. This was all late 90s, early 2000s, like not, no, no time recently. And, um, and then uh, that just sort of kept rolling through the decades. You know, like I, we always joke that Jeremy has been to more places in Brazil than most Brazilians. Like he just knows every <laughs> yeah. state. And we don't meet a Brazilian anywhere in the world that can say a city or a state and Jeremy not know exactly where it is. You know, he's even more than me. I'm very familiar with Brazil. But um, and then and then we had good friends in in sub-Saharan Africa that would invite us to do things there with them with Overland Missions who's based all over their their main bases in Zambia but they also work in Angola and Mozambique and Madagascar and Zanzibar and just all over mm -hmm. um, sub-Saharan Africa and then we had some young adults that were actually for a short time we worked filling in as young adult pastors for a couple of years for 
another good friend of ours that pastored in Jacksonville, Florida, that kind of found themselves in a lurch and we kind of filled in as we could for them. And through that process met this young couple. Gosh, this was back in, uh, Elijah was born in 2008. I just remember because I was pregnant with our second son then. So this would have been back in 2008. Two, yeah. And, um, and that they were just this young little power couple that that you just knew like if they set their mind to it they're going to do it so they came to us and they were like this is what we want to do in Uganda and we're like okay how can we help you make this happen and I had a ton of experience with incorporating 501c3s and how not-for-profits work and all of that so we kind of helped them with that and now their organization is huge and incredibly successful in Uganda. And so we work um, regularly with them because we've stayed very, very, very close through the years. And so it's always been through connections. I, I always joke like we've never invited ourselves anywhere. It's just God just, God opens the doors that he wants opened if we just kind of keep our ear inclined to that. And it was the same thing that happened in France. Like we we didn't know how to to open a door for ourselves in France. And so we just started praying, 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 like, Lord, we're feeling this. They need Jesus <laughs> desperately. And then God just miraculously began to open those doors. Now, it's a crazy story. We are not actually pastoring the church in, in France. Um, that's a, a long, very complicated story of how the things that we we think <laughs> we're going to do and the ways that God uses sometimes to push us to make decisions that maybe we would have made, would not have made otherwise. And then the story that we think is so perfectly laid out suddenly turns head over heels and explodes. <laughs> and you think, hold on, this isn't how this story was supposed to go. Mm-hmm, Excuse right. me, God, <laughs> Where, what, what are you talking about here? You know? And then you have to choose in those situations. Am I, am I going to stand? Am I going to believe? Am I going to choose to believe in your goodness right now in the, in the midst of this? And that has been the story of our three years in France. We've, we've been over three years now in France. And um, just, just in the last two weeks um, started a transitional period where we're still going to be working in France, but also spending time more time back in the United States and back in some of the other countries where we've worked so regularly. Now that COVID has opened up a little bit, you know, some of the restrictions that we were all living under in the frontiers or the frontiers, that's how the French would say, the boundaries of different, now what do we say in English? Borders. Thank you. I'm sorry. (laughs) The borders of different countries, not the boundaries, um, have opened up so we can kind of pick back up with some of the projects we were working on before. Mm -hmm. So in France, um, like you mentioned, at one point you were you're pastoring, you're leading that yeah. church. So what is your role now as you still maintain a connection? Yeah, I mean, our, our role in the last three years, so so things um, stopped with the, the church that we, we were working to take over um, about six months into our process there um, through no fault of our own. Um, right. But the, the rug was kind of jerked out from underneath us and... and um, and that's a long story, you know. But um, so then we, we decided, well, let's wait and see what God wants to do here. Because France is the most secular country I've ever been a part of in my life. <laughs> and I've been to a lot of countries and spent quality time in a lot of countries. And I have never been in a country so wholeheartedly opposed to religion of any kind um and and of course that includes 
Christianity. Um, regardless of what, unless you've lived there, you know, people will say it's a Catholic country. Well, yeah, not really. It's like 60% atheist and the fastest growing, growing religion is Islam. And then under that would be Catholicism. But the Catholicism is more on the decline there. And then like any sort of Protestantism, no matter what denomination, which they find it fascinating, the number of denominations we have here in the United States. I'm, I'm questioned sure. about it regularly. They're I'm like, sure. what is all that? And and that makes up like literally 2% of their entire religious, you know, pie chart, so to speak. Um, and so in that process, we knew like, we don't want to just take up and leave after six months. Like, God, there must be some reason. And so we just decided we're just going to love people well here and build every relationship that we can possibly build and just let God be God in the midst of it with no hook is my father. If you, <laughs> if any of you listening to this know my father, Graylin, he loves to talk about love with a hook, you know, and as Christians, it's very easy for us to have a hidden agenda in the way that we love people, especially if we want to feel real great about ourselves and have something to show of like, look what a great Christian I am, you know? And sometimes we don't even realize that that's really subconscious until the Holy Spirit kind of shows like, hey, are you loving them just for who they are? Are you loving them for who you want them to be? And, um, And that has been a beautiful journey for us in France to learn almost all of our friends are either atheist or Muslim. And I cannot put into words the love that I have for these people that God has just drawn to us and us to them and built these incredibly beautiful relationships that we're just trusting God with. I mean, I, I and the French will say this about themselves, so I'm not talking bad about anyone, but it takes forever. They make fun of Americans all the time because they're like, you meet an American, and Americans like, hey, my name's so-and-so. Let me tell you my whole life story and, you know, everything that you possibly could ever want to know about me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all Americans are not like that. And they're like, yes, you are. You Americans want to just spill your guts the minute you meet someone. And I was like, that is such a stereotype. <laughs> but the French are as opposite of that as you can get. And so to build, like, for instance, some very, very good friends of ours now said, Well, we just spent the first year feeling y'all out, trying to see, especially the second they found out we came there for a church. It's like, (gasps) the walls go up, you know, 8,000 bricks high. And and it's, I always joke that trying to like win their hearts sometimes can be like trying to tear down a brick wall with a toothpick because, but then one, especially in Britain or Brittany, if you're, if you know Brit the culture there, it's much different than the rest of France. And they always say, je suis dur, like, I'm very hard. We're tough here, you know. And uh, and so it's even harder to gain their trust. Once you gain it, they'll be with you for life. But it takes years. So we have been sowing a seed and just loving well for the the last three years, sort of waiting on the Lord and hoping to begin some of our projects there. But our, our we were under such strict limitations for COVID there that only, and honestly, in the last six months, even yeah. less than that, have all of our limitations been, just since March, really, since right. uh, have all of our limitations been, been lifted, where you could actually consider possibly starting a new project um, with the arts projects that we still do overseas and all that. So we'll see. I, I joke a lot in French, we'll see is on verra. And I told someone the other day, if I have to say on verra to one more person, <laughs> I'm so sick of saying we'll see. But where France is concerned, we'll see what the future holds. Hmm. One of our parishioners here, it's, um, they 
on a regular refrain when they see me after service they'll say lots of people like to have it all figured out but their life journey has realized that it's a lot of we'll see right <laughs> just one day at a time one moment at a time i'll just trust god and when all of this seems chaotic well but god's in the midst of helping me navigate yeah. where i need to be that's true so i'm grateful for that word for me today <laughs> we'll see <laughs> you really had to hold on to that that yeah. uh, for the last three years just um got what you just said speaking to that is god is in control of this and um maybe we can't see yeah beyond the next 30 minutes mm-hmm. but god's in control and it's going to be okay mm-hmm. yeah and that's taken a lot of trust especially like i'll share this little testimony um When we first moved to France, my boys were 14 and 11. Yeah. And, um, and they hated it. Like, it's a hard time to move your kids overseas and to a new language. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and especially a country like France, like you can go to Germany and everybody speaks English, but you, unless you're in Paris proper, like the French are not going to just jump into English with you. They'll do that once they get super comfortable with you, if they have some English in their, you know, in their tool chest. But, um, so it was a new language, an entirely new culture, an entirely new way of looking at the world. Uh, and they're the prime teenage years, you know, and uh, pre preteen years for my younger son, and and they hated it. And and the other day I had this incredible moment. It was the day of our our three year anniversary in France, and I was just taking time with the Lord to to just look back, you know, and see His faithfulness even in some of our darkest moments. Because it's one thing, you know, my husband and I have gone all over the world and we've dragged our kids all over the world but they always had a place to come back to to call home but then to to shift them entirely in this kind of pivotal season of their lives it's so much pressure as a mom like am I messing up my kids lives you know and uh I can remember uh, I was flashing back to when we first arrived at the airport and I was outside at the time I had the now my youngest son is fluent but at the time I had the best French I'm also fluent and he and I constantly compete at who has the best (laughs) French now but (laughs) but but at the time it was only me so I was outside the airport with bags and bags of luggage and we're trying to arrange putting everything in the cars and I look over and we're all tired and stressed and I look over my shoulder and I see the two boys like sitting off to the side both fighting back tears like total misery and I think what have we done and then I'm standing in my house just a few weeks ago a month ago or so and I'm reminiscing on these past three years and the moments where I would stand in my kitchen or my bedroom just crying out to God on behalf of my sons and all that they've experienced and walked through in these three years and I remember after our first year there being in the kitchen one time saying I trust you Jesus I trust you Jesus and I heard clear as day the Holy Spirit say stop saying that because it's not true and I was like "Ooh, yeah you're right 
I don't actually trust you. I am freaking out <laughs> over my kids, you know. And then the years progressed, and, and I just see how far they've come. And these incre- now they're 17 and almost 14, and they are these incredible young men with this strength of mm-hmm. character and perseverance and fortitude that I could not have tried to forge in them. Like, it compared to other kids their age, like, it, it's night and day, but it came through the fire it came through misery it came through having to overcome and be the outsider and be the kid that none of the other kids would talk to and face those scenarios over and over again until finally they saw God move and and they've built these relationships my oldest son he he pushes me he challenges me about Jesus because he said he's like here's the thing my, my, my oldest son is in love with Jesus and he's like but the cool thing, Mama, is I didn't build this, like, in some super hip youth group. Like, I built this because I was so miserable. I had to find God in my bedroom alone in France, and I did. And that means that I'll have him like this for the rest of my life. And I'm sitting there like, keep talking to me, Jed, you know, <laughs> preach to me, buddy. <laughs> you know? But but you just see the faithfulness of God in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the unknowns, in the midst of the things that I still can't stand and give you a beautiful explanation for. But yet I can see God's beauty and God's goodness through it. So, And eight months after you went there, COVID came. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you literally were confined to your home for yep. months at a time, right? Yeah, Except for, for an hour months. a day or something. Yeah, we got an hour a day outside of our apartments for three months. And if you were outside your apartment, you had to show an attestation, like if the police stopped you. One time they stopped Jed and he didn't have one on him. It was this document that showed where you lived, um, what time you left your house, like, and, and you would have to, to show that you weren't breaking the rules. So it was just a very, and then, I mean, that went on for a couple of years, not necessarily that strict, but where we had curfews or we had, you know, oh, we could leave our house, but only up to 10 kilometers away and only three hours a day. Or, you know, there was a, it was a very different <laughs> dynamic than and it, Florida. And it changed, <laughs> it changed several times. To several times, yeah. Because I can remember you being here and they would put additional once again go back to some of the lockdowns and so they knew when they went back home they wouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to go into a restaurant they'd have to um, because they were all closed right you couldn't they couldn't have people into their home yeah um, they couldn't go to other homes Uh, yeah if you did you were breaking the rules so you had to figure out what risks you wanted to take you know Mm -hmm. right yeah well i want to share our just thank you for sharing about your sons and that journey um because as you were sharing i realized well that's God building their character for yeah. what he has for them. Yeah. And um, who knows what other c- connections will build from that as far as what you've talked about other places that you've gone and how God just opens doors. So we don't know beyond right. that, but at least they have been drawn closer to him. Yeah, they've gotten something that will stay with them the rest of their lives mm-hmm. and language. And Jed speaks French, too. We just joke, <laughs> Elijah. He's the younger one, right? So he likes to brag that his French is the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know in um, so thinking about our fall event uh, for women's ministry, so what we did last time was a Friday evening, and there was some time for worship and then a, a time to, to hear some teaching. And so you're already starting to pray about that and consider what that might look like. Do you want to share a few thoughts? Sure, sure. I just... Um, 
just some of the stuff I've been sort of meditating on and and thinking about. And one of the things that I won't, you know, I won't dive super deep and save that for the women's conference. But um, one of the things that the beginning of this year, mom had sent me like a, a random text or something that she had been reading that she thought would encourage me and so she sent it and as I began to read it and research it myself um, I ended up building this whole message about it that I preached back in February at a church in Jacksonville uh, just about the God of the Valley there's a beautiful verse in 1st Kings 20 where um, there the Israelites are going out to fight the Emineans or somebody I could open my Bible and read it but but where God says like you know, because they think that I'm the God only of the mountaintops and not the God of the valley, I'm going to show them. And he, de- you know, he destroys the army of the enemy. And, and it just, at that season in my life in February, when I was really studying it, I was like, God, it's such a beautiful image because we can relate to these mountaintop experiences with the Lord. But it just felt like, like God, like speaking to all of us, especially because for everyone, the last few years have been incredibly difficult. Each person has their own story of that and, and how God is is not just the God of, of the mountaintop, nor does he expect us to just be the, the believer, the follower, the Christian of the mountaintop, that, that he is as much with us in the valley and the brokenness as he is when everything is great and we're the perfect little Christians, you know? He, he is as much a part of that and finds it just as beautiful, this, this aspect of our relationship with him, as it does when we have so much faith we can move the mountains, you know? And so uh, that is one of the things that I would love to bring in in October. But another thing more recently, I've been listening to some things and doing some research and just some stuff I'm reading about kintsugi. Have you ever heard of kintsugi, this Japanese art form? I have not. So I don't know if I'm saying that perfectly. Uh, Japanese is not one of the languages I speak. So <laughs> <laughs> if there's any Japanese people, you can correct my, my accent and my pronunciation. But um, in this one podcast, they were saying kintsugi. And so it is the, the famous Japanese art form where they take the broken things and like broken pottery right like broken ceramics but if a vase were to break or a special plate or something and they mend them but the the mentality they were teaching so much on the mentality of what they call a lacquer master or a kintsugi master when he goes into this and i actually have a quote or two i could read that might be somewhat encouraging for someone listening because some of this the other day when i read it i was like oh my gosh it's just so good um where he's he's the man they're interviewing was um had trained under multiple kintsugi masters and he's actually a master painter in a specific type of painting that i now can't remember the name it's also japanese but he's quite famous this this guy they were interviewing um and it says the 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 japan or the japanese lacquer master does not try to restore or fix the broken pieces to their original form as if the brokenness never happened if we just think about that for a second, that is what we try to do, right? Like we want to hide our brokenness. We want to act or wait till we got it all better. That's that's me. That's my default. Like, oh yeah, I'll tell you all my vulnerabilities and all my brokenness, but I want to tell you after I've mastered them, after I've conquered them and they're all better and they're just a beautifully healed scar, not why it's still an open wound. But he says, the Japanese lacquer master does not try to restore or fix the pieces to their original form as if brokenness never happened. But in order to mend it, to make it new, they use a river of gold 
to accentuate, to amplify the fractures. And then the resulting vessel is far more valuable than the original. And he talked about the risen Jesus and the restored, like redeemed version of Jesus that came back after the cross. And I had never thought about this this way, but I thought, gosh, that's so beautiful. They were like, God could have easily gotten rid of the holes in his hands and his feet. Mm. He had been fully restored, fully redeemed, to the point where there are even situations where he said, don't touch me, you know. But yet he left the scars in his hands and his feet. And I thought, oh, that's so powerful. Like even in Jesus, they didn't try to hide the brokenness that he had endured for all of us. And, And it just felt like when I was listening to this this artist talk about it I was like what an invitation for us to just be real to just Mm. to just be real Mm -hmm. to just face any and he also talked about like a a true uh, Kintsugi master would never even begin to try to to create the next piece of art where he mends it all together with with true gold like a true Kintsugi piece is made with gold so they're quite expensive Um, before he could first find it beautiful in all of its brokenness and he said a a kintsugi master will sit and lay out all the broken pieces and won't even begin to try to mend it until he finds it beautiful broken Mm -hmm. and can appreciate how it's only through the brokenness sometimes that we can even find the next creation we can even find the next season for our lives and the next season of what god wants to do when it it is going to create something totally new but in order to get there we have to not try to run from the brokenness or despise the brokenness but recognize that it is also something beautiful because god is using it to create eventually something new it makes me think of psalm 27 you know where where david says but i am confident of this i will see the goodness of the lord in the land of the living you know be strong take heart wait on the Lord, put your hope in the Lord. And so I'm kind of into Kintsugi right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love that. I love that you shared that. And I I know it is about embracing that brokenness um, and giving permission so that you can personally deal with that. Um, And then for the culture of people around to embrace that, right? Because that's a large struggle with it because you can personally be Uh okay with it, but then you feel like you're judged on all sides. Uh So we need a culture that is okay with that. Absolutely. That we're just, we recognize we're all broken. (laughs) We're all on a journey. And so let's do this journey together. And if we can look at it that way, kind of through this artist's lens, then when the person that is difficult or that you see and want to have judgment of, like, if you could switch that lens and see, oh, this is something beautiful in the making, you know, Mm -hmm. it changes the way we see one another. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. For sharing these good words today. And, um, and I know I shouldn't go on too long to, to describe some of the project that I hope that our church will be part of and just what God has been bringing to me for our community to reach out beyond the, the walls of our church. And several things that you shared along these lines of, about the culture and how we embrace and are just willing to um, be bold and, and risk being different in the midst mm-hmm. of what's around us. So what you were sharing about in France, that you have these friends that are just really different in their faith mm-hmm. understanding, but you love them. Yeah. And that's what we need that good word and just keep to be reminding of that as we, and we're just going to encounter more people that don't have a faith experience. And so for us to be strong in our understanding our love for Jesus, 
and for that to then motivate us to love other people as he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And I think if we can see people not as people we need to fix or people that we need to win, mm-hmm. um, but if we could even humble ourselves to go, even this good friend of mine who's Muslim or this good friend of mine who's atheist, if, if, I, was, if I was picturing it as a painting while we're on this artist vein, the colors that they have added to my life, just as they are, and the experience that I've had growing to feel the heart of Jesus toward them mm-hmm. so differently than me and what that has brought back to me, I mean, it, it's a masterpiece, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's beautiful. It gives you something you wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, I would love to close with a prayer, and I would just offer either one of you to do that, to one of you feel led in particular. Mama's always a good prayer. Yes. <laughs> She's my permanent prayer. <laughs> I know that's not a real word in English, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, you were exposed at a very early age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sitting on the prince's bed. I, in our last Aww. podcast, I mentioned, I mentioned that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to pray. Thank you, Vicki. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this time together. And I pray for those who uh, will be listening to this podcast. I ask, Lord, that you would use it to bless them wherever they are and whatever they happen to be experiencing at this time, that they would feel your presence, Lord, that they would feel your love above all, Mm -hmm. and that they would know that they are accepted and loved just as they are. Mm. And I thank you for loving us all well and that you do create beauty from ashes, that you see us not in our brokenness at all, but in the way that you created us and the way you intend us to be. So I pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every one of us with the gift to be able to look around us and to see others and not even see their brokenness, Lord, but to see them with spiritual eyes and with the way that you love them. So I thank you for this time together. Thank you for those who will be listening to this podcast. And I ask that you would um, abundantly reveal yourself to them, that they would know you and come to love you and that their lives would be fuller as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.